Right, so Rahab, here we go. Um, if you were looking for a new girlfriend, I don't really think Rahab would be your first choice. Well, she was a prostitute, wasn't she? And by association, people might think you were one too. Oh, the shame of that. Um, so no, perhaps she wouldn't be your first choice. You'd steer well clear of Rahab. However, God likes to use the most unlikely people to bring about his purposes. Um, because she hid two men of God in her roof, she and all her household were saved. Her story portrays how God accepts a person no matter what their background. After 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, it's now time for the children of Israel to enter the promised land. However, they are immediately faced with an obstacle, the city of Jericho. Joshua, now the leader, sent two spies out to do a recce of the city. And in the course of doing so, they came across Rahab. At the time, the king of Jericho ordered that these two men be captured. However, Rahab, she had heard of what their God was capable of, and she offered to keep them safe by hiding them in her roof space. She knew of the story that had circulated over the last 40 years about how God had parted the Red Sea and allowed them to go through, drowning the Amorite armies who were trying to follow them. So she had a fear of this God of theirs, and that fear led her to faith in God. She asked the spies to save her and her family in return for hiding them. They agreed, and they told her to um, hang a scarlet cord in the window through which they were going to escape so that when the Israelite armies attacked and saw the red cord, they would pass on by and not harm her or her family. So I'm going to, we're going to look at five lessons that we can learn from this story of Rahab. The first one is that godly fear can sometimes um, turn us to faith or lead to faith. Although many had heard of Rahab, I mean many had feared, Rahab was set apart because she overcame her fear and helped the spies. This was credited to, her, credited to her as great faith in God. Her fear transformed her from being an unbeliever to being a Gentile. So you may be thinking, should we strive to please God out of fear? Well, of course not. Slowly but surely, Rahab's worldly fear turned into a godly fear. This kind of fear helps a person to put things into perspective. Fearing God, it doesn't mean cowering in terror in his presence. And if this kind of fear is what you feel about obeying God, then it's not going to produce the right kind of relationship with him that you want. Godly fear means recognizing his immense power and realizing just how insignificant we are in comparison to him. Despite this, God chose to send his Jesus, send Jesus, his son, to die for our sins. And because of this, God deserves our absolute highest respect and reverence. Rahab recognized that through the Israelites, God has set in motion spiritual laws or boundaries that when we choose to break them, they end up breaking us in that consequences result from sinful ways of life that we might live. I like to think of the Ten Commandments as a kind of highway code, whether we are a passenger, a pedestrian, or the driver. 
If we ignore the highway code, we get consequences. Um, because of Rahab's healthy fear of God, she was able to begin developing godly wisdom, something that we should all want. Caroline, can you put up uh, Proverbs 1 verse 7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And also in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, it says, The fear of the Lord teaches a man wisdom, and humility comes before honor. God doesn't want us to live in worldly fear. He wants us to have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And it says in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. King Solomon was the wisest person who ever lived. He asked God for wisdom, and, and God gave him that wisdom. And as a result of that wisdom, he advised, his advice for mankind is to fear God and keep his commandments. The second lesson we can learn from the story of Rahab is that lying is a sin, and it'll always be a sin. To save the Israelite spies, she blatantly lied to the king's soldiers. And when asked where they were, she said, I don't know. Maybe they've escaped. Maybe they went through the gate when it was going dark, when they were closing it. Why don't you go that way and have a look? She sent them on a wild goose chase, didn't she? You might find them there, but all the time they were hidden in the roof. Now, knowing the reputation of this prostitute woman, you'd think the soldiers would think, hold on a minute. I bet this house is full of lots of random men at different times. Let's have a good old look around. But they didn't, did they? They just believed her, which seems a bit crazy, actually. Anyway... Um, she fooled them. Sadly, some people use this example from the Bible to excuse and prove their reasoning that lying's not always a bad thing. They argue if it's done for a good cause, it's okay. The odd white lie doesn't really matter. In this point of time, we need to remember that Rahab was like any one of us. She wasn't perfect. She was commended in Hebrews chapter 11 for her courageous faith, not her lying. Rahab grew up as a Gentile and may not have been fully educated in the ways of God. So she may not have understood the magnitude of her past sinful way of life. As this was probably the case for Rahab, perhaps it's worth um, noting that having the faith to believe in God and follow his commandments is the first step for any of us in becoming part of God's family. If Rahab had known the truth about lying, she may well have acted differently. She may have decided to trust God completely in how the truth would work out the consequences for the spies. Um, but, you know, she was only human like the rest of us. She didn't. She didn't think, oh, I'll just make something up. Um, she, she believed in God. I'm sure, actually, I would have been quite tempted just to lie myself, to be honest, because it was all a bit awkward, wasn't it? And I'm reminded of um, the Jews in the Second World War, what it must have been like, that, like for them, especially for Christians who were hiding people. You know, what would they have said to the authorities? How would they have got around it? It must have been horrendous to 
be waiting for that knock on the door, knowing that you have people hiding in your attic, what would you say? Um, but, you know, thinking about this, I think God ultimately judges us according to our motives. And I'm not using that as an excuse, but, you know, our motives and our attitudes are what God's looking at. Jesus is always concerned with what he considers to be the more important things, such as not being judgmental, having faith, and showing mercy. So, you know, it's tricky, isn't it, this lying to protect people? Anyway, we can be sure that as Rahab continued living the way of life God had called her to, she would eventually learn that lying was not a good thing. As Christians, we must develop a strong sense of commitment that sin is always sin, and this includes lying. The third lesson we can learn from Rahab is there is no sin that's too great that God can't forgive, because God is a merciful God. Now, Rahab's line of work was totally acceptable in the eyes of Canaanites, but you know, it wasn't in God's. Didn't make it right. God's standards are way higher than ours. And God expects moral behavior from us, amongst other things, especially when we become a Christian. Like Rahab, we too may have a questionable past. Jesus had a few things to say to the woman at the well, and I'm just going to read you that passage now um, from John chapter 4, verse from 13. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. But you know, he told her, Go, call your husband and come back. But she said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you've had five husbands and the man you're now with is not your husband. And she said, well, what you say is quite true. I wonder if she went away determined to clean up her act based on what Jesus had said. When we make him Lord of our life, he expects us to change. Rahab was entrenched in the Canaanite religion of idol worship. They worshipped the moon. In our society today, prostitutes are still looked down on as the lowest of the low who don't deserve any favor from anyone, let alone God. There's a story I heard back in Scotland, where we're from, about this street pastor. He used to go out on the streets, and at 3 a.m. every every, in the middle of the night, he would go into like a greasy spoon-type cafe, get himself a warming drink. And he became aware of a group of women who would come in around about that time, dressed up to the nines, and he realized gradually that they were a bunch of prostitutes. And he thought, how on earth am I going to reach them? And he overheard them one day talking, and uh, let's call that Marlene. Now, Marlene was going to have a birthday, and he heard her saying this, and the girls were saying, what are you going to do? What are you going to do, Marlene? And she says, oh, I'm not going to do anything. I never do anything. No one's ever done anything for me. It's my birthday. It's just a number. It just comes and it goes. And he sat and he listened and he thought, that's really sad. And then he had a brainwave. I'll give her a party. So the next Wednesday night, there he was. They walked in and he had a birthday cake, balloons, a big banner, happy birthday. And she went, what's this? And he said, 
I heard it was your birthday. And she said, but why have you done this for me? And he said, well, I'm a Christian. I want you to know the love of Jesus. And I'm a street pastor. And that's what I'm here for, to, to tell you about the love of Jesus. And she says to him, well, what kind of a church uh, do you go to? And he said, the kind of church that gives birthday parties for prostitutes in the middle of the night. So I thought that was quite funny when I heard it. Anyway, the word harlot has forever been linked with the name Rahab. In Hebrews 11, Rahab and Sarah are the only women mentioned. There's no question that Sarah's life, not Rahab's, showed the Christian values and qualities that we're meant to have. So why would God call a harlot a Gentile and sinful woman to be part of his family? The answer lies in the fact that God is a great and incredibly merciful God, and he doesn't play favoritism. Romans 2 verse 11, please Caroline. For God does not show favoritism. So you know, salvation is not limited to only certain people. As long as you recognize that you're a sinner, that Jesus died for you, he will for your life, his will for your life will be to welcome you into his family. There's no doubt that Rahab did live a sinful life, but she had the faith to believe that God is able to forgive her of the many sins that she's committed. And there's no sin that's too great that God cannot forgive it. But you know, we have to acknowledge our sin and repent from it. Rahab didn't just ask for forgiveness, then carry on as she always had. She changed. It's very important to recognize that God's kindness and forgiveness leads us to repentance. Romans 2 verse 4, Caroline, please. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So it's pretty clear, isn't it? Without recognizing your sin and turning away from it, you can't be a Christian or a Jesus follower. God demands that we repent from our sin, and that means to change our ways, to turn over a new leaf. Yes, Jesus wants to be our friend. Of course he does. But he wants to be Lord of our life, and that's far more important. He wants to be in control, not us. And that's what that means, um, being Lord of, your, of, his, of our lives. If you were in the dock accused of being a Christian, what would be the evidence against you that could convict you? The fourth thing we can learn is God protects many for the sake of a few, or even for one. Rahab wasn't the only person who was saved. It could have been easy for Rahab to think about her own safety, but no, she thought of her family, and she struck up a bargain with the spies. This is the type of faith that she had. She'd only heard about the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and defeated mighty kings. Though she'd only heard of it, she came to the point of believing it with all her heart. She not only believed that God existed, but she also developed a faith in God. She believed that he is the most powerful being who could protect her and her family from the destruction of the walls of Jericho. So instead of trusting the walls to stand firm, she trusted God for protection instead. In this situation, it's worth noting that God is willing to also save other people for the sake of his people. 
We don't know if her family believed, but somehow she'd obviously managed to persuade them to come into my house and you'll be safe. So perhaps they did believe. Um, I'd never really thought about that before, but yeah, they went to her house and didn't run away. They could easily have run away. They could have thought, you're off your head. I don't believe you. As Christians, we need to remember that God's mercy extends to all people. God knows who will be saved, but we don't. So it's our responsibility to tell everybody. And it's an open invitation, but sadly, not everyone's going to accept it. The fifth thing we can learn is that we need to worship God according to his terms and not ours. God expects us to make every effort to grow and develop a godly character. The Bible reading, through Bible reading or study and coming to church, mixing more with other Christians for mutual encouragement, reading Christian books, listening to online Bible talks, worship music, for example, all these things are really good and helpful. Our faith and action should be consistent. Rahab could easily have dismissed the instructions to display a scarlet cord in her window. But by doing so, she would have brought death upon her family and herself because the Israelites wouldn't have known which house to save. This teaches us that worshipping and following God must be according to his will and not ours. Unfortunately, too many people these days don't count the cost when they become a Christian because, you know, the Christian life isn't easy and God never said it would be. He never said, I'm a genie, rub me and you'll get your own way. It's not a walk in the park. But we have to change and allow ourselves to be under new management. Rahab believed in God, so she left her pagan ways behind. She didn't hold on to bits of it. She wouldn't have grown up in her faith and she wouldn't have led, led other people to believe if she had. So to conclude, let's just recap. Godly fear can lead to faith. And there is no sin that's too great for God to forgive. And God expects us to change. And God may well start a work in you because he wants to bring other people to faith through you. We have to worship God according to his terms and not ours. So Rahab was a sinner, just like the rest of us. But that didn't mean she was beyond hope, and non neither are we. Rahab shows us that no matter what our circumstances, God will accept us if we come to him with the right attitude. It's worth noting that Rahab eventually must have grown in her relationship and knowledge of God because she goes on to marry Salmon. They have Boaz. He later marries Ruth. And this line ultimately leads to the birth of Jesus himself. So let the story of Rahab inspire you to believe, to change your ways and to live your life for Jesus because you never know he might one day want to use you to bring about his purposes like he did Rahab. I have written out some questions for our groups for discussion. Um, and there's some little booklets on the table if anyone wants to take one. Um, so let's just pray before we go into our groups. Lord and Father, we thank you for this opportunity to meet together. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so relevant today as it was then. That, Lord, human nature is the same decade after decade, century after century. And your word has something 
um, real to speak into our lives about, even now in 2022. Lord, I pray for this word that it would go forth and that the seeds sown today, Lord, would grow. And that, Lord, you would be honoured and glorified um, in the lives of all of us this morning as we go about our lives, about our day. And we just pray now for the um, discussion groups, Lord, that we would have a, a good, helpful time in them of fellowship and support and encouragement. Just thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you died for us. Thank you, Lord, there is nothing that is too great for you not to be able to forgive. And we do thank you that you do not treat us as our sins deserve. So we thank you, Lord and Father, for this story of Rahab. Thank you for the example of her. So be with us all now, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.